Support for this podcast comes from Eightfold.ai. Eightfold.ai delivers the talent intelligence platform, the most effective way for companies to retain top performers, upskill and reskill the workforce, recruit top talent efficiently, and reach diversity goals. Eightfold.ai's deep learning artificial intelligence platform empowers enterprises to turn talent management into a competitive advantage. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 450 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Despite some highly publicised layoffs in the tech sector, macro trends are still driving a high demand for highly skilled tech professionals. This is particularly true in data science and AI, where hiring the right talent can have a significant business impact. So what do employers need to do in the current market to ensure they're getting the talent they need? My guest this week is Kevin DeWalt, CEO of Prolego, a leading AI consultant for Fortune 500 companies. Prolego has recently published a report to help companies get better at hiring data science talent. And Kevin has some valuable insights to share. Hi, Kevin, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Been looking forward to it. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Well, my name is Kevin DeWalt, and I'm uh, one of the co-founders and CEO of ProLego. We are an AI consultancy that helps the Fortune 1000 get started on their AI journey. And our mission is to make AI the default operating system of business at the world's largest companies. Fantastic stuff. I mean, that sounds like a kind of a multifaceted type of business. Tell us a little bit more about the sort of the, the main activities that you do. And I suppose in particular, your involvement in recruiting and talent acquisition. Yeah, we, we're about five years old. And uh, as you can probably guess, AI is at the very beginning. So we're at, you know, all of ourselves and our clients and really the whole world is at the beginning of what is going to be a long-term massive trend in how computers and how businesses use computers to achieve business goals. So we do everything from strategy. We have you know, engineers that do hardcore modeling and we build the AI systems. Um, but then a big part of what we do is really help our clients change culture. And of course, changing culture involves changing people. And part of that is recruiting and retention strategies, in particular in this area, which has become incredibly hot and so competitive over the last couple of years. Uh, so we, we do a lot of the but basically helping our clients figure out how they can attract and retrain talent, retain talent. And that led to the, the workforce study that we uh, commissioned recently on data science talent. Fantastic stuff. And uh, we're going to talk through the report that you've just done shortly. I suppose before we do, though, I'd be really interested in getting your view on the market, basically. I mean, we've been talking for you know a number of years about skill, you know, technical skill shortages. Things got more acute sort of in the pandemic and straight after the pandemic. But obviously, a lot of the, the news cycle now is about sort of layoffs in the, in the, in the tech industry. Well, what, is the, what does the market look like and what's the, the competi- competition for, for talent like um, in these kind of highly skilled tech jobs? Yeah, it's a fantastic question, Matt. Well, I mean, there's a couple of forces. There's a couple of large forces and then some temporary forces at work. I mean, 
on a global scale, and I, you know, having listened to some of your previous guests, I, I know you're, you're well aware of this, but I thought I would just mention it for the sake of the audience. But of course, we have a massive demographic shift happening globally. The baby boomer generation is the biggest in history. They're going into retirement. Generation X in the United States is is much smaller, and of course, globally, there's a there's a talent, you know, there's a, there's a labor going to be a labor shortage uh, across the world. So we have that sort of global headwind, ha- you know, happening, and the pandemic, of course, accelerated a lot of that. So we have the kind of that macro shift, but at the same time, you know, there's all, all, there are a lot of traditional industries that have tried to go digital and you hear like digital transformation across insurance and banking and financial services and transportation retail that's happening everywhere. And so for the past couple of years, there's just, there's this really this bow wave initially driven by the tech companies, but lots of other companies are trying to, to catch up and they're looking at expand their technology workforce. In the past six months or so, we've seen a lot of the higher profile tech companies, some of the larger ones and some companies that have raised a lot of money that really got ahead of their skis in terms of the, the number of talent they were trying to uh, they were trying to attract. And they were beating each other up, you know, competing like crazy, in many cases, kind of lowering some of their traditional standards just because they were in a war for talent. And so we're now seeing some higher profile layoffs happening at some of the larger tech companies that, that I'm sure your, your audience is familiar with, but it doesn't change the macro trend. And my, my co-founder and I have been trying to figure out really what's happening on the ground. So we've been talking to colleagues, uh, you know, C-level executives at, you know, people that we know are our clients about, you know, what's happening in the workforce. And truthfully, nothing has really lightened up. Although there's high profile layoffs, it's happening at the same time that a lot of traditional industries are expanding their hiring. I um, mean, you, you know, banks announcing five to 10,000 new hires for their digital transformation. So the larger trends are happening and we really haven't seen a let up. Um, companies are still having a very hard time attracting AI talent. The best tech companies are still recruiting and hiring, although maybe some of that has slowed down. So uh, unfortunately, we we occasionally will talk to companies who are saying, well, you know, we're hopeful that the market's going to turn around and we're going to be able to have a, you know, a, a wave of new talent coming in and we won't have to do things any differently in the next six months. And usually I have to tell them that that's unlikely based on what we're seeing. No, absolutely. And I, I think that really echoes a lot of the other conversations that I've had on the podcast. The demographic trends are there. The digital transformation trends are there. And, and I suppose the current reality just varies from, from, from company to company, but the, you know, the, the general direction is the same. It is. Yes. And with, with that in mind, I was really interested to read your report on how to win the war for, for data science talent in particular. Why did you write the report? How did you do it? Tell us about the background. Tell us about the background to it. We really started to notice a trend in the last couple of years. Uh, so maybe for the benefit of your audience, I'll explain what we mean by data scientists. And these are people that are primarily building uh, a lot of the AI systems that you use. So you may hear of like model development or AI system development or, or experimentation, but it's a new breed of career of people who use data and try to discover new business opportunities within the data. So I'm, I'm sure all of your audience knows what a scientist does, you know, experimenting and trying to discover something new. Now, companies are hiring technical workforces to help discover new ways to make more money, save more money, work more efficiently, maybe, you know, design systems that can take work traditionally done by people and maybe automate some of that so people can do more interesting and more uh, higher level work. The data scientists are the people that kind of discover and build the brains behind that. 
And so uh, we've been noted in, in the past couple of years, it's been a, a career path that has grown tremendously fast. But the rates of uh, competition and salary growth ha- have really been astounding. You know, we're, we're, you're seeing anecdotal stories of you know, people who are changing jobs, you know, two or three times over an 18 month period, and their salaries are increasing by like a hundred thousand US dollars a year. I mean, it has got it is really crazy out there how tight the market for this top talent has. And it's because there's there's not only a shortage of them, but the outsized impact that some of these people can have on your business is much bigger than a traditional technology worker. You know, a good software engineer can traditionally make software that maybe works more efficiently, that's easier to maintain, that does a better job. But you know, they're not going to have a 10x impact on your business. But a data scientist can come in and discover a new way to make money or a new way to save money can have you know a, a multi-million dollar or tens of million dollar impact on your business through a single discovery. And that's why the market for the people who can do this work has become so competitive. So back to that, that's kind of a background. Back to your question, like the motivation for the report, is because as we saw this, this competition happening, we we really saw a bifurcation in some of our clients and the companies we know who are able to attract and retain these workers and those who are really struggling. So we had some ideas for what these best practices were, but we wanted to go out and kind of confirm and, and discover, you know, what we were hearing from the market of the talent themselves and what they were saying about the the you know, the, the type of work environment they want to work at. And that was the motivation for the report. And I think that's interesting because there are some aspects in the report about recruitment and attracting talent that I want to sort of uh, talk about in a second. But I think it's that, that that first bit about the work environment that, that companies need to create and, you know, how this type of workforce, you know, might behave differently or have different, different needs from, uh, you know, different needs from their employer. Really interesting stuff. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so uh, as far as the workforce itself, it, if you kind of look at the psychology of the people that go in to become a data scientist, they're extremely passionate about what they do. And so these are people who love, you know, the, the person who you might have grown up with who loved tracking sports statistics and Excel or a dashboard and could tell you every quote about every, you know, A's, you know, either if it's a, you know, a football or if you're in America, like, you know, in American baseball, every stats and every player, that's the kind of person that goes into this kind of work. And they're just very passionate about discovery. They love looking at data. They love solving problems. And so that's why they go into this career. And for the most part, they really, really like that work. But for them to be successful, they have to have the right projects, they have to have the right environment, the right boss, the right infrastructure, you know, and, and the right supporting um, you know, systems around them so that they can be effective and do what they want to do. And if they don't have that, they're not going to have the job satisfaction they want, and they're going to look for something else. And I know this is sort of a theme to a lot of your interviews, but we're entering a world where employers are no longer in control. It's the talent that's in control. And we have to take, we have to, you know, understand what they're looking for and try to create an environment where they're going to be successful, even if that means kind of changing how, uh, you know, the company is currently organized. And I suppose that's interesting because for many organizations who are, you know, rapidly expanding their their data science functions, what do they have to do to be seen as an employer of, of choice in this area? But also, how do they communicate that to the kind of the broader data science community? So I think the first thing is to maybe take a 
take a step back and actually have a strategy. Most companies that begin this journey, they, they have an existing organizational structure. Maybe they have project teams they, or they, you know, they have a way they're organized. And the initial, uh, the first wave of attempt is, okay, now, you know, we have a, a project team building a system. We need to add a data scientist to that team. And so that's usually how companies don't want to change for no reason. That's expensive. It's hard. <laughs> Changing culture is tough. And so the easiest thing to, for them to do is to try to, to add new talent to the way they work. And data scientists look a lot like software engineers. They work with software. They work with data. So they add to existing product, team, you know, maybe a product or a project team. And usually they'll find that there's a, a couple of problems, you know, with that, um, that type of approach is that um, the first is that most of the hiring managers don't really understand what data scientists do. And so you would imagine that if you're, you're any kind of, you know, research organization, if you took a job as a scientist in a lab, you're going to work for other scientists or with other scientists. You're not going to work for the, you know, the IT department or the legal department, for example. You're going to be around people who understand what you do and can help, help you become successful. And so companies that aren't prepared to do that, to kind of drop data science talent into their existing structure, usually find that it's not the right fit for them. They don't have the right leadership. They don't have the right surrounding functions, the right systems to make them successful. So th that's kind of the, the biggest initial challenge we see is not having the strategy to get, to get going. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. -O -O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. How can employers sort of move forward with that? What are the elements that, that are important in that strategy to be successful? Well, the, the first one I think is a, you know, a theme that you've probably touched on for a lot of your other, your, um, your, your other interviewees is that I'm, I'm always surprised at how companies don't often do the easy stuff. And so uh, to give an example, I'll, you know, I'll talk to a, you know, a department, you know, a department lead at a company and they'll say, Hey, you know what, we're, we're having a really hard time retaining data science talent. You know, we, you know, a recruit, you know, a competitor hired away our whole team, you know, the last three months and our projects now stalled. What can we do? And one of the first questions I'll say is, okay, do you know why they left? And they'll say, well, you know, it's, you know, because of pay, because of this. Okay. And then I would ask, okay, so how do you know that? Did you ask them? And I'm shocked at how sometimes companies just don't do the easiest stuff. And so the, the first question, the, the, the first recommendation I have is that if you find a candidate who didn't take a job with you, talk to that person and find out why. Ask people why they've left your company. You know, you know, talk to go to your local events and talk to data scientists and ask them about whether or not they'd want to come work for your company. 
do the easy stuff. Don't rely on recruiters and human resources to do all that for you and to kind of surface up the macro trends. You kind of have to roll up your sleeves a little bit. So that's kind of the first one. It's just to do the basics. But beyond that, there's a, a couple of structural things they can start uh, doing. But before I go into that, um, any comments or questions you might have? Because I, I imagine that's a, a common theme you've seen in some of your other interviews. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's that appreciation for the the real motivations that cause people to to join stay at and and leave companies is is really interesting and i think it's something that employers generally really need to focus on moving forward but particularly at the at the, at the moment when recruiting remains so difficult and uh, you know retention is a challenge exactly so so with that in mind let, let me give you a couple of sort of uh, I'll, I'll give you a uh, a couple of quick fixes <laughs> that we've seen work for anyone in your audience who's kind of looking for something to try to turn things around the next couple of months and then some longer term structural changes. Um, so the, the first thing is uh, to recognize that the the data science talent out there really makes a, a one major decision of where they choose to go and why they want to stay at an employer is the experience of their hiring manager. And so when we started seeing the results for this study, we, we pro Lego rewrote our job descriptions and led with the hiring manager. And we, as a part of the report, we have an example of this. And one of the sections in our job description is meet your hiring manager. So we, we kind of at the very outset, instead of talking about job responsibilities and background, it's like, this is the person who you're going to be working for. And that sends the message to the candidate about how much we value uh, creating the right environment for where they're going to work. So that is the first um, the first uh, tactic. The second one is to actually create a non-management career path for data scientists. A, at least half of the data scientists we interviewed had sort of a lukewarm feeling about going down a management career path. And so... If you don't have a, if you don't advertise some sort of non-management career path or can't discuss with candidates that's about a non-management career path for them, where they can stay as a technical expert, you're, you're, you're kind of right out of the get-go uh, pushing away about half the people who might be great employees and qualified to work in your company. Um, so those are two kind of nearer-term, uh, I guess, tactical actions a company can take. And I'll kind of pause there for a second before talking into some of the structural ones. Please carry on. You can give us a couple of examples of the, the long-term structural stuff. I think that that would be very, very helpful. So it's longer term. Uh, one of the, the biggest, I give the biggest questions we see is before hiring a data scientist, make sure you actually have data science work. And a lot of times we find that, you know, companies will think, oh, we've got, you know, we need to create a data science program. We have all this data. Let's hire a data scientist. And, but they don't really have the kind of project work for that person. So they, they quickly relegate the person to do sort of basic creation of, you know, user interfaces, dashboards, or maybe just traditional IT work. The person is very unsatisfied and they leave. And that is, that's very common. Um, the second one is to create a centralized team of data scientists. So along the theme of leading with the hiring manager, uh, there was kind of an industry debate a couple of years ago about whether to decentralize or centralize your data science talent. And over the past couple of years, 
that the 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 evidence for the better structure is is borne out based on the companies that are making progress. And now there's there's absolutely no doubt about it that you need to centralize your data science team. So instead of you know creating a decentralized organization where maybe each individual software project team or product team would hire their own data scientist, unless you're a very, very, very large company, you want to primarily have a centralized data science team that can be matrixed out and support multiple different projects. Um, if nothing else, it's because that's the environment that the talent wants to work in. And if you don't have that kind of structure, it's going to be very, very hard to recruit and retain um, people. I'll just end with kind of the third point then on sort of, uh, yeah, on sort of like um, structural is create an an environment where learning is valued. This is, and this is really difficult a lot of companies, especially when you're under the, you know, the pressure of getting the next release out or you've got a backlog of work. Trying to create an environment where learning is prioritized can be really difficult because there's a cost associated with that. But there are some small steps companies can do, you know, even having, you know, letting a data scientists spend part of their time. And a lot of these people are so passionate about it. They'll spend their evenings and weekends working on, on work if it's interesting to them. Part of their time where they can explore something new or they can present to a larger part of the organization about what they're working on and have a structure by which, you know, the, in the Wednesday data science lunch sessions with maybe somebody pr- presents once a month or once every month. If you can't be in an environment where learning is prioritized and evangelized, that's going to attract the kind of people you need as well. And moving the conversation to recruiting and, um, you know, acquiring the talent in the first place, what advice can you offer to the recruiters and talent acquisition leaders who are are listening, who are are sort of desperately trying to, you know, recruit data science talent to their business at the moment? So the the first thing I would say is uh, is the fastest fix you can make, which you can do in an afternoon, is rewrite your job descriptions to mention the who the hiring manager is, even if it's just a paragraph or two or a link to a a LinkedIn profile. Simply doing that is the is a very very quick fix that should instantly raise the quantity and quality of candidates that you get. Um, if you have a non management career path advertise it in your job descriptions. Um, of course, comp- you know, compensation is always, uh, you know, a part of the discussion here, but I, I find that most employers are able to figure, figure that out a lot quicker. They can figure out the, um, the, you know, the, uh, the, the strategic changes. Um, and, and then the third one is, you know, have an aspirational message, you know, talk about how the work can impact the company and change the world. There are a, there are, tens of thousands or perhaps millions of talented people out there who don't want to go work for a tech company, who don't want to work for Google for lots of different reasons. You know, they, they don't want to try to spend their time, you know, discovering ways to uh, increase the, you know, the conversion on clicking on ads by 0.0001% over five years. That's not why they get out of bed in the morning. But if you're a, you know, a hospital or a life insurance company, there's a mission that your company has that helps people and changes the world. And you can use that as part of your pitch to people that says, look, you know, we're a life insurance company that's been around for a hundred years. Sure, you can go to Facebook and optimize ad clicks on, you know, on master's ads on, on people's, you know, on people's Facebook posts, or you can come here and help people find the right type of life insurance policy for them. Because when people go through a disaster, we help them get through that. 
And that will really resonate with people. And they will come and work for your company for you know a lower compensation. And even if you don't have a lot of other things correct, that kind of aspirational message will attract the kind of people who are likely to become good long-term employees. And as a final question, so as an industry, um, AI is having a huge effect of effect on us. It's affecting the type of people that we hire, but also how we hire in terms of the the technology that's coming into uh, recruiting an HR. So, I just want to kind of reflect back on the, the 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 very first thing you said about we're kind of right at the beginning of the the AI rev- revolution. I'm just really interested to um, help give us all some 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 context. What, what can we expect from from AI over the next few years? Where's all this going? It will completely change how we acquire and recruit talent. And so uh, we've, and we've actually worked with some of the largest uh, recruiting companies who have been um, past clients of ours. So it, household names that your audience would know. Um, it, if you think about the way the system works today, it is incredibly inefficient. You know, companies have a need and to try to fill that need they're hiring recruiters and posting information on job sites. And, you, and and at the same time, you have waves of people who might be looking for an opportunity. And it's just sort of happenstance that the two can find each other. But if you could take all of the information about your company and where it's going and your needs and the needs you don't even know you have yet, and you, you could marry that up with the, inf- you know, the information of all the possible people who could be looking for a job. This is an AI problem, and AI is going to quick is going to be able to help us identify the talent we need, help the talent find the place they want to work, and even make even before we know we have a job or before someone is looking for a job, identifying the signals that can make that match, and it's going to drive everything. We will be you know we're in you know within five to ten years we're going to look back on the the current system of recruiting people and just. Just imagine how crazy it is. I mean, the idea is that we had recruiters cold calling people, you know, who may or may not be qualified, may or may not be interested, and trying to talk to them about a job that they may not really understand at a company they don't know that well. I mean, the current system is so incredibly inefficient, and AI is going to change that simply because the problem is so big and there's so much data out there that can be leveraged to solve it. Kevin? Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on your show. My thanks to Kevin. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.